Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for March 6th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week, uh, because we're a little bit delayed with this podcast, we're going to talk about the trade deadline, some of the things that happened a week ago, because there there was a good number of uh, moves that were that are worthy of being discussed, even, you know, a little bit delayed, like I had mentioned. And then we'll, after we get through that, talk a little Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, first, Mr. Cameron Walsh has um, some news for our podcast slash website, and I'm going to uh, let him talk about that. So, Cam? All right, guys, we've uh, set up a Patreon a Patreon page. You can just go to patreon.com backslash hockeyheads. Um, or there's a link on the on the front page. It's just a way for you guys to help uh, contribute, I suppose. We've got a whole different range of pledges there that you can put in for a month, um, from very very little to uh, quite a lot. Um, there are gifts and rewards that, that go back to you guys um, for doing so. Um, if you think there's anything in there that you, you'd like to to add for us, we'll consider it and, and put it in there as a as a pledge. But um, the whole idea of this is to provide you with a, a better product. Um, with the expansion of around about, I don't know, 10,000 people listening to the podcast, um, it's just starting to become a, a bit of a hassle trying to make sure that things stays hosted. So uh, a little bit of help from you guys will, will help us maintain the quality of the podcast and allow us to provide you with uh, better stuff moving forward articles, features on the website, all that sort of stuff as well. So any contribution would, would be helpful. Um, the more the more you contribute, the more you'll get back yourself. Thanks. Okay. So thank you very much. And with that said, what trade do we want to start with here? Eric Stoll. Okay. I don't get why New York spent as much as they did on him. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Uh, let me take a little bit of this. I think they know that their moves leading up to this year were kind of in a, a, a win-now kind of scope. And Eric Stell's just the latest of that kind of move where they are willing to move futures for winning now. The Keith Yandel trade was a definite example of that. Martin St. Louis trade. You're talking multiple first-round picks, second-round picks. Uh, Anthony Duclair went to Arizona in the Yandel trade. So they've they've moved some big future pieces out the door in an effort to win now while Henrik Lundqvist is still really awesome, and he is. Uh, they did make the final the one year. And so at what point, what point do you get there and go with this – Approach because Pittsburgh's copped an absolute hiding for taking it as well and not winning a cup. So you get there and pull away from that approach and start to rely on your futures coming through. Like, do they just keep doing this until Lundqvist retires and then they just go into full rebuild, or is there going to be any room for transition at all? Well, they're they're interesting in the regards that they've made some roster moves that had nothing to do with kind of managing their futures. The letting Strawman walk and signing Girardi is that's a huge swing for that team in the wrong direction. Strawman's really not, great, not, and Girardi's one of the worst. 
I, I know that I know that Gorton was a part of that that collective that, that came up with that decision to, to pick Girardi over Strawman, but it's a new direction now with this team, so I'll be really interested to see what they do decide to do. So you get moves like that, you compound them with. There's nothing coming up through the pipeline, at least, you know, I don't have the most extensive knowledge of their farm system, but from what I gather, from what the Ranger people I follow on Twitter, it's not a totally stock cupboard, and they have a decision to make with Keith Yandel this year. He makes $2.6 right now on their cap, and he's an unrestricted free agent, so... What do they do there? I suppose they have Dan Boyle coming off the books at $4.5 million, which is useful. But, but you've still got to replace those minutes, though, don't you, as well? I mean, you're right. Boyle needs to go, needs to come off the roster, but who have they got coming through or who are they going to go to free agency to fill those minutes up? It's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I haven't really taken a huge look at the unrestricted free agent defenseman yet, but I'm sure there'll be some lower cost. Come on, man. We are... just got past the deadline. What are you doing? I know. Um, but Eric Stahl is an unrestricted free agent. Chris Kreider is a restricted free agent. Kevin Hayes is a restricted free agent. JT Miller, restricted free agent. So they got some guys looking for some raises. The, it, 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 it's funny, you know, how that team really does seem to live and die by how Lundqvist plays. Like, you know how the Montreal Canadiens died in the ass this year? It legitimately feels like this version, like this year's version of the New York Rangers, as opposed to last year, because they did lose Lundqvist for a while last year. If Lundqvist goes through a bad patch or gets injured, I just don't know how this Rangers team is going to handle it. I really don't. Well, I suppose it depends on how Ranta performs. If it came to it. Well, they're hitched to the, the, those two wagons, aren't they, really? New, New York, the other, the other New York team sort of interests me as well in that they didn't really do anything over the course of the deadline to sort of make you sit up and think that they're confident that they've got a team that can can advance. It's just it's a very bizarre situation with that Islanders team. They did make a good trade, though, I thought. Mm-hmm. Not a high-impact trade, but getting Shane Prince for a third-round pick is good. Shane scored his first goal with the Islanders the other night and so far seems to be doing well. Those little depth moves might be the difference. It's like, you know, we've said it before on the podcast. It's often the the guys around the stars that, that win you series because they do stuff outside of their normal skill set. A guy like Prince has enough skill that he's capable of doing something like that. Good speed as well. Ottawa, for whatever reason, didn't ever feel like giving him a, a legitimate look. With ice well, they time. can't play Hoffman on their top two lines all the time, then they've got serious issues with the coaching staff there. Yeah, Matt, or Hoffman was on the fourth line today for them, so, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever. So, Prince getting misused is, is not surprising. So, you're right, Islanders didn't didn't really do all that much. They're kind of 
an okay team? They're just, for me, the entire year, they've just sort of snuck their way under the radar. They've been third in the division basically all year. Um, whatever happens with, with them, it's like they could jump up and get home ice advantage against the Rangers or the Penguins, or they could end up being the team that plays the Atlantic division, and, and you get there with it, and it's like that whole mix of teams in there, if the cards fall the right way for the Islanders, they could find themselves in the Eastern Conference Finals very, very easily, because Yaroslav Halak's best is ridiculously good, but he can just be a little inconsistent with his health, so if he gets healthy, feels great with his body, and gets hot right at the end of the year, I don't think anyone wants a part of that Islanders roster. Is he their starter, though? Well, you can make the argument that they're, they're literally doing the, the 1B, and as much as Halak probably hates it, that's probably when he performs at his best, when he's fighting for his job. I mean, you can make the statistical argument that Grice has been better this year, and you won't hear me argue that, but you get there and you've got the type of coach that Jack Capuano is, I can't see him going to Grice because you've got Halak, who is literally riding that Habs 2010 playoff run for his playoff success, if you know what I mean. Grace leads the NHL in save percentage. Yeah, but how many playoff series has he won? Well, I don't know. None. No one gives him a exactly. chance. No, no that, that's my point, though. You get there. I totally agree with you, but when you have a, a coaching staff at the Islanders with Capuano, he will gravitate towards Halak because he's done it before. It's just how he goes. It's just what he does. Well, speaking of these New York teams, I think the Islanders just won 6-4 to four over the Rangers. Stomped on them. Apparently there were seven goals in the first 15 minutes of the game. <laughs> yeah, it was a um, crazy start to that game. Ended up being 4-4, and then the Islanders scored uh, pretty late in the game, I think. Two in the last minute or something. Yeah, Clutterbuck, 18-32 into the period, so about a minute and a half left in the game they scored. Ridiculous. <clears throat> game, 10-goal game against two playoff teams. Hey, that's good. That's probably, that was it, prob- it was probably an entertaining game. More entertaining than what we just saw. Uh, Moving on from... Go ahead. I was going to say, moving on from those two New York teams, Devils did a ride out of their trade deadline as well, actually. Yeah, for what they are and what we kind of always thought they were, even though they got off to that uh, very good start this year, which surprised us both, I believe. Yes. Corey Schneider did Corey Schneider things and kept them in there, that area, but I, I think it was good on Ray Shero to understand where that franchise is and trade off Stepniak and uh, was it Jelena? I think so. Eric Jelena. Anybody else I'm missing that they traded away? Um, I honestly cannot remember. I apologize. You know what's what is good for Jersey though? The one benefit of Schneider probably being hurt for the next 10 games or so. They could, because they're two and eight in their last ten. They could literally be two and eight again in their next ten without Schneider. They've got a chance to get in that bottom five. 
And you and I have said all year that that's the one thing Jersey need is to, to, to tank it out because they're not that far in front of Winnipeg. They're five wins in front of Winnipeg. Yeah, I think they'll start losing games. I mean, Pittsburgh just put six on them tonight, and um, that that's good for that. That will be good for them. The more odds they have for the lottery, the better. So, losing is winning with this lottery system that they have in place. Yep. So, totally agree. Want to stay east or go west? I uh, will just flip flop over. Do you want to talk Anaheim? Yeah, we'll do. Um, Ducks made some depth trades that I thought were okay. Uh, Jamie McGinn from Buffalo and uh, Brandon Peary from Florida. Peary was only a six-round pick or something like that. Uh, they just nice forward depth. Didn't really spend yep. too much. Um, they're already a good team. They've been a good team pretty much all year. The, the shooting percentage thing early in the year was really killing them. So that has kind of turned around. Ryan Getzlaff is starting to get the results that we've grown accustomed to for close to a decade now. And they're winning a lot of games. I think 11 in a row, franchise record. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's just, I, I just like the fact that they stayed the course, um, didn't panic, didn't do any, like, you almost feel like they looked at the numbers that, that we like to look at and they went, shooting percentage cannot stay this low. We're, we're still getting, you know, things are still going in our direction. They're going to have to turn. So you stick with your coach because you believe in what the coach is providing. Then all of a sudden it looks as though the shooting percentages aren't going to change. You're still losing. The coach then changes what the Ducks do on the ice to reduce shots against to try and get the percentages back in their favour. That worked, and they've moved forward from that point on. So it was a nice methodical process in a transition from the way they wanted to be to it not working to sticking with it, moving across. And, and, and like, you know, Brennan Perry supposed to be able to help them shoot. You know, Jamie McGinn is, is going to be able to help them not get scored on. So um, it, it looks as though the coach and the general manager are, are thinking in the same, you know, they're on the they're on the same page. Whereas, you know, we've had situations being Pittsburgh fans looking at what the coach and the, and the general manager are doing, and they're all over the place. At least those two in Anaheim look like they're working together. Yeah, and they'll need that help because L.A. looks really good again. And... Um... Who's in the San Jose kind of in that spot? Yeah, they're third. So, they're all there about that Pacific. <laughs> that California state is not much fun. But those are the only three from the Pacific that are going to make it. Yeah, it's three and five. The Central Division's the killer. Yeah, I look for Anaheim to make some noise again. I think, you know, you know how we both feel about this divisional setup. I think it's... It sucks. <laughs> you're going to get Anaheim, L.A. in one of the 
automatically in one of the first two rounds instead of it potentially being a conference final. Not that the Central doesn't have teams worthy of a conference final, but I don't know. I, I can't. I cannot see in the East or the West the teams that are currently in the playoffs changing now. All that's going to change is the order. That's it. I can't see Colorado um, hanging around um, to, to get in, and, and I can't see Philadelphia um, and, and Carolina hanging around to to chase Pittsburgh and Detroit down. So literally, I think from here on in, you're playing for who you want to play against, not not just to get in. So it'll be interesting to see if teams change what they do moving forward. Well, I looked at, like... <clears throat> the standings yesterday in an article and you're getting later in the year and on the NHL standings on their page they have the goal differentials and there's green and there's red for positive and negative differentials every single team in the western conference is that's green is in a playoff spot every literally every single team in red is not simple as that and it's the same way in the east Except Detroit is red, but they're they're in the last playoff spot right now, four points ahead of Philly. So, the teams with a positive goal differential right now, this late in the year, you're right. It looks to be shaping up who, just not where yet. There's still some wiggle room with some of this. I mean, Washington's obviously... They already have 100 points. They'll be where they are. Washington's the only the only team that's locked. Everyone else in the East, and I think probably in the West as well, it could it could change for every single team who they play. And, and as far as the NHL would be concerned, it would be fantastic. I think the thing that sucks is that that variation of who you can play is pretty limited because of the divisional setup they've gone through with the playoffs. So... Um, it's but a yeah, little more interesting, yeah. though, in the West because of the five and the three. So there'll be at least one crossover. Yeah, true, true. Whereas uh, the East is shaping up to be four and four with one wild card for each division. Yeah. The, the thing that I find uh, amazing with this, though, is that I, I would find it very hard to believe that Tampa Bay would cool off enough that they would fall into a wild card spot. But mathematically... It's still possible that it could happen. It's the same like with Florida. They've been five ever since they've had that massive what was it twelve game win streak or whatever it was that they had. Mm-hmm. They've been a five hundred club the rest of the way. Boston have been up and down all year. Detroit up and down all year. Same with the Islanders in Pittsburgh. I mean those there's only there's that one spot that's that's definite. Everybody else could flip around everywhere. So. Um, it's the negative of having the divisional setups in that you don't have teams with the ability to play against a, a different team and you just get stuck looping through the same playoff series over and over and over. How are you supposed to get, you know, a Florida um, notoriety in, in the New York market or something like that if you're not going to get to play them until the conference finals? So it's just stupid. East is wide open, though. It is. Even I looked at Washington. Um, I broke down each 
teams score Justin Fenwick, their even strength save percentage, even strength shooting percentage, just to kind of see where all these teams shake out across the the league ranks. And Washington's, you know, I even color-coded it uh, to where I got green, yellow, red. Washington's yellow for possession. They're in that 11 to 15 area. They're yellow in goaltending, which actually surprised me with Holtby. Yeah, that's very surprising. But that's even strength, so he must be killing it on the penalty kill. I guess. That's my... That could be... Get on the penalty kills. Although you hear a lot about Holtby wins, and we know that that's... Although you hear a lot it's not the best uh, measure for goaltending. <laughs> You're right. We do hear that about Holtby. But they are top... I think they're number two shooting percentage, so they're very lethal when they get their chances. Uh, yeah. Rangers are top five for save and shooting percentage. They're they're rocking the PDO train. Their possession is 16 to 20th. Right. Okay. So I don't think that's too surprising. We said that earlier in the year that their PDO is incredible. Still is. But yeah. Lundqvist is... I wouldn't call that luck. That's that's him. So that's the advantage of him. Shooting percentage is a little surprising for them. But, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't know really. <laughs> At some point, you have to sit there with Lundqvist, and you have said this before with Lundqvist, that you, you can't just sit there and say that it's it, it's luck. Like, he is, he is what he is, and, and, and you have to expect that. So you can factor that into the range of success, I suppose. Yeah, this is a decade sample size of him being awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not like it's a it's a hamburger run or something like that. Like that save percentage is is what it is, and it's going to stay there. I think until he retires, he'll he'll pull the pin on his own merit. He won't have the game get away from him. I don't think. As long as you can keep the net on its pegs. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, you make a very good point. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was an interesting sequence. Yeah. yeah, 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 it was. My thought um, process on that is you're not really going to sell the ref on being hurt when you're launching a net like the Incredible Hulk off its moorings. It, it was just funny to watch, though. Like, I think that's the thing that I found most amusing with it was just watching that happen. I think that's the bit that I enjoyed the most. Yeah, and they do have to change the rule. The AHL, uh, David Leggio, Leggio, I think Leggio, uh, had a 2-on-0 coming at him. (laughs) He just launched the net off, and they gave him a penalty shot, and I think he stopped it. I think that was the AHL rule. I could be very wrong on that, but they they then changed it to a misconduct for the goaltender, and I think the uh, the fresh goaltender would have to take a penalty shot or something along those lines. Oh, really? Jesus, okay. So, so just, just tear a groin to shreds then. 
basically don't do that. <laughs> Nicely put. So it'll be interesting to see if the NHL kind of adopts or changes their current rule, which is just a delay a game penalty. That's an interesting precedent. <laughs> Playoffs, <laughs> 2 on 0. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to throw this net off. <laughs> Do you... Okay, can we, can we talk about, about Dallas and, and what the hell are they thinking with Chris Russell? One of the stranger um, things. You almost said worse. Line. You almost said worse. It is probably the worst trade and, and yeah. it's especially surprising because uh, Jim Nill's been so good in Dallas he clearly Dallas has been a team that's done well with with constructing the roster outside of the goaltending which they spend an arm and a leg on and don't get anything for it yeah Chris Russell bottom oh, pairing just... guy they gave up a prospect a conditional first and a third am I reading that correct yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm all for going, if you're Jim Neal, I'm all for going, okay, look, we're deficient in a couple areas. Chris Russell can help us in those areas. Not a problem. It's more what he gave up for those tools, I think, that annoys me the most, considering that he's most likely, he's, there's a very good chance he'll be a rental. And I think that's the, I thought that teams were moving away from overpaying for rentals. I was wrong <laughs> because it's such an overpayment for a player that will not fit into a system that doesn't have a lot of structure. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out, but I, I the value there is terrible. Especially oh, if you think it's he's a top four guy and you play him that way. He's a bottom pairing guy that could probably do okay sheltered, but that's not how he's used. Nope. And it was strange, the whole thing with Hamuse and Dallas. Like, Dallas seemed to want them both. And Jim Benning went all Jim Benning on it and didn't return the call or... Well, did Benning go Benning on it or did the Aquilinis just go cry, cry, cry? Yeah, there's a few different versions of what actually happened there. And it's like if the ownership did get involved and basically forced Benning to ask for more, I don't blame... Jim Neal looking elsewhere. No, but to, you don't have to give what you did for Russell. No, 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 no. That's, that's exactly that, right. that's, Those are independent things. Yeah. But Vancouver, I, I just... <laughs> Dan Hamus and Verbata pending UFAs. Yeah, we'll just sit on them. We're, we're an organization that's in a good spot. We'll just sit on them. I, I get I get Hamus holding the cards and not leaving. That makes sense to me. Verbata, though, doesn't have any trade clauses, I think. So they could have and should have shipped him. They said they didn't get any offers, but come on. You're not telling me somebody would have given them something for him? Yeah. So... Uh, and you're right. Hamus made things more difficult, and that's not a knock on him. That's his... But he's right. It's his contract. That's fine. But he was willing to waive for Chicago, Dallas, and I believe Anaheim. I don't think Anaheim was ever looking at it. Not with what they've got on their blue line, no need. But, you know, at the end of the day, Vancouver's just got to suck it up and be like, all right, Dallas. Woo. Dallas was willing to offer a similar package. Yeah. 
I don't see I don't see how the feud between the owners of those two franchises helps Vancouver move forward by them not giving them Dan Hamhuis. I don't I don't see how that helps the development of Vancouver. Like the short sightedness in, in, in that whole process is just baffling. Absolutely baffling. Yeah. Confusing organization to say the least. Well, they had two top five goalies in their system, and they've got none now. An aging Ryan Miller and a, an unknown factor in in Markstrom. It's like that that franchise has 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 gone from really well run and really well constructed to oh it didn't work against Boston to completely changing what hockey meant to that city. Yeah, that's they, five like, years ago now. Yeah, but you you remember how. Um, Washington just couldn't get it done, right? So they tried to do all these different things and change up what they were. That's what Vancouver's going through at the moment. It's just that their superstars are on the wrong end of, of the, the the age curve to be able to maintain it. Luckily for Washington, you know, Ovechkin and, and, and Holtby, like Ovechkin's just about to push into 30. What are the Sedins? Are they 33 or 35 now? Ooh, good question. I think 34. Okay, there you go. So, so you, you know what I mean, though. Like, they're just, they're four or nope, five years further along. They'll be 36 at the beginning of next year. Yeah, so they're, they're a little further along than what the Washington guys were, which was lucky for the Washington franchise because they actually worked out, they didn't have to change too much of what they were doing. They just had to construct the roster a little bit differently, go back to putting their players in positions to succeed rather than try and change who they are. I mean, that Tortorella experiment was a joke. He tried to turn players into something they're not and move them away from what they're good at. I, I just I don't know I don't know what Jim Benning wants this team to be. He's handcuffed by the Sedines contracts now and, and their inability to well, they're right, I suppose, to not want to play apart from each other. So it, it does make things a little difficult in that sense. But there's no direction of, of what this club's meant to be. That they, they they've bragged about playing all their young players this year and having them improve. But by not getting rid of him who's for draft picks or, or young talent, and same with, with Verbata, you go, well, they're not really committing to that push anyway then. So they're in limbo. And limbo is the worst place you can be in, in the NHL. They're going to be going for it or trying to lose. Well, there's no rule that says you need to trade for Brandon Sutter. You need to give Derek Dorsett a four-year contract worth $2.6 million a year. What about Lucas Spiza? Oh Jesus! Uh, or that? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, like for a franchise that was run so well for so long, it really did just fall apart, like really, really quickly. It's like that whole Bruins series crushed the franchise, and they've not been able to mentally get it back together to piece together a good team. And it, it can happen. It'll be interesting to see whether. Benning is the solution or makes the problem worse. I think I know where it's headed at the moment. Um, or whether it takes somebody else to come in and, and totally change what's expected on the ice for, for that franchise. I've said it before. They're, they're where the Buffalo Sabres used to be before they got rid of Derek Roy and Vanek and Pominville, where they're just kind of in this blah, chasing the last playoff spot, going nowhere kind of deal. Yeah. So they better figure well, funny, out what they really want so to do. Basically, Miller left Buffalo to go to Buffalo. Is that what you're telling me? 
I think so, yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Similar situations. Did Boston, did Boston do the right thing by keeping Louis Erickson and adding as as opposed to trading him away? Like, what do you do there? I don't blame them for keeping him, but can they keep him at the end of the deadline, at the end of the season? Well, it's tough to answer not knowing what the – they've had conversations. conversations. Good point. It's a really what good point. they are, they know I don't. We, we don't, but it's a risk. Letting him walk for nothing is not going to look good. He's got leverage now because Boston's not going to want egg on their face. Boston may That's spend true. a little bit more than maybe they were willing to in the offseason just because they don't want to lose an asset like the, the main asset from the Tyler Sagan trade. Wow, yeah, it just goes from bad to worse. I hadn't even thought about it in that context. Because, I mean, you have a look at what happened to Pittsburgh when they lost Niskanen for nothing and then they lost Martin for nothing. It really did screw around with the roster, with having nothing coming back. So I would even argue it, losing Orpik for nothing. Not because I think he's a good player, but he would have fetched something for them if they would have been proactive yeah. with it. And they would have made themselves better by not playing him anymore. I thought that was a real yeah. missed opportunity. They were never going to so do that, but no, no, and that's the tough thing with it, it's it's that whole perception thing, I suppose, as well. It is really tough when you get there and go, I can see trading this player away makes us better with him not being on the ice. But what do, do the fans think if we do it, and what does the room think if we trade away a guy who's supposed to be a, a vocal leader in the room? Like there are a whole heap of things that go into wanting to trade someone and being able to trade someone that go well beyond the numbers and it's it's hilarious how much weight those extra things have compared to the raw numbers that you see in front of you it, it's like it should be a 50 50 balance but it still feels to me as though the numbers are only getting 30 percent consideration and everything else still gets more there still hasn't been that drift across because that all picked like you just discussed a second ago really really good point they that defensive core group would have got by without all pick back then because it was so good anyway. Niskanen, very underrated. Well, they might have been able to keep him if they'd got rid of Orpik. Yep, they were proactive and didn't let him play into his last year, and then he blew up that last year. There were signs that he was playing well leading into the 2013-14 season. Mm. And, um, you know, they took that risk and he started playing really great and earned himself a lot of money, which good for him. And he's playing well for Washington. But as far as your question, did the Bruins do right by buying? I don't know. Are they going to turn their first round series from a five game series to a seven game? Like, where do the Bruins shake out in the East? Are they a real contender? Look, there are, this, this is the thing. They could get first in the Atlantic, and I would, if, if they had home, if they end up first or second in the Atlantic, I would give them the first round to them purely based on home ice advantage. That, that would be the only reason that I, I would give them that. But if they end up third and they have to play away from home, then maybe they're out in the first round. That's how tight the, like, I think Tampa is the class of the Atlantic. Yes. 
and I don't think many people would, would argue that that concept. They've won nine but, in a row. Yeah, yeah. But that's not to say over the course of seven games, Tuka Rask or Roberto Luongo couldn't beat that Tampa team. So it, it, you get them at home, and and you get matchups favoring Boston, so you can get Chara exactly where you want him to be all the time, and and really try and shut you know Tampa or Florida down. I'd give Boston that edge if they got the home ice advantage. So I don't blame them for thinking, yeah, let's go for it. But it might be the last kick of the can with this with this core of this roster be, just because of the age of, of Chara. <clears throat> Not because of Bergeron, because Bergeron's awesome. It's it's Chara that's the big problem for them. Yeah. Um, their decor, and Chara's already in decline. Yeah. But it's for such a high ceiling, though. Like, yes. You just, yeah, it, and it's, it is actually a nice slow decline, but it's definitely there. And the reliance on him for that decor to be effective is, is so great that he, he slips and it could become very apparent very quickly. And it's very risky for Boston. I mean, I don't think Dennis Seidenberg is. Um, he's. <laughs> All right, I'm looking, at one of these, cool. I'm looking at one of these warrior charts with Dennis Seidenberg and hey, Karumba. Yeah. So he gets top two minutes, like huge minutes. He plays with Tori Krug the most, who's a good player. He's below bottom pairing and everything. Yeah. yeah. Everything. And if you get there and you, th- you think about where Boston have gone this year, the fact that they've gone as far as they have with such an anchor in their back six is quite amazing. Like they're literally out there, almost out there playing with, with, with five D men. They're almost shorter, man. That's how bad Seidenberg is next to everybody else. So it's a credit to the way Claude Julian has coached that side to make that work and still win games. The, um, John Michael Lyles ad, he's, um, he's got okay numbers. Not bad. Hey, and the one, the one thing that, that is good about the Bruins this year is that they know they aren't that big smush them up, crash them down Bruins teams that were successful in the past. Adding a guy like Lyles, who doesn't have any of those skill sets within his, in his toolbox, means that they've actually gone, okay, we need someone that can help us move the puck. And at least Lyles can do that and at least help get the puck out of the zone with control. Tori Krug will be an interesting one. He's got really nice underlying numbers, pretty much everything in the top two, and the other stuff is top four level. And he's up for a contract. He's an RFA. He makes $3.4 million right now. They kind of gave him that bridge Bridgy. so they could manage their cap a little bit. But... Time to pay him. He's going to want more than five, I have to imagine. And what are they going to do? They have no leverage here. Well, they can't let him walk, can they? They, they have to sign him. Well, without Dougie Hamilton around anymore. Sheesh. Some tough decisions to be made by the Bruins. They might. Hey, this, we need the guy to do it. He, he's the guy that traded a third-round pick for Zach Ronaldo. I was just trying to work this out. As a general manager, you're judged on your bad trades more than your good ones, aren't you? Yeah, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. All right. 
Because, you know, everyone's sort of saying how well Jim Neal's done, and then he's gone and done this Russell trade, and everyone's like, what the hell? And then, you know, like you just said, for the Sweeney trade for Ronaldo. Well, that's an all-time bad one. Yeah, I know. Everyone's allowed one. It's just how many, how often do you do those bad ones that, that well, I suppose... Dougie Hamilton's gone. And it remains to be seen what their three first-round picks in a row are going to do. It's the... But they at least had three first-round picks to choose from. What have you always said? The more shots in the barrel, the more likely you are to shoot a fish? Yeah, I mean... Everybody that I follow that kind of looks into um, like the prospect stuff was a little puzzled by their back-to-back-to-back selections. So Could I actually I mean, picked? Yeah. It's so early. I mean, those assumptions can can be wrong, but, you know, it wasn't like, wow, look at them go. They did a really great job here. So it's one of those things, I suppose, in that situation, you've got three there. Maybe you get there and of one of those three picks, you use it, you swing for the fences. There's a guy that's considered an absolute outstanding talent, but a project. But then you take two safe picks around that area that you go, they're picked about where you expected them to be. You know they're going to cut, you know, as much as you can say it about prospects, you know they're going to come through and be competent second or third line NHLers or second pairing defensemen. Grab two of those out of the three and have one that's just a swing for the fences and like a Hail Mary of, we've got this pick in the middle. Yeah, do something like that. You've got two that you can bank, and you've got one that you can take a swing for the fences. Wouldn't that be the whole point of having three around about the same time? Yeah, it was super interesting that they had three in a row. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Not that I can remember, but I don't pay as much attention to the draft as, as many others do. Anything else on deadline other than maybe Rob Scuderi found himself yet another home? And a home upon which they're going to play him. Yeah, he's been doing terrible too. I know, Shaq, but... it's If they play him 16, 17 minutes a night in the divisional finals, you sit there and, and go, that, that will cost them the series against Anaheim. That, that's Good. sort of what it comes down Because those teams are so closely matched, it's the weaknesses that get exposed the most. So if you get there and say um, that the goalies are awash and that the forwards are awash and it's going to be the back end, it's going to be the difference between them, Scuderi's that hole. He's that bad that that, will, that for me, would be what would cost LA the series. Could happen if they continue to play him. That will happen, I think. Because you can't have weak links against uh, Good those solid teams like Chicago and Anaheim out west. Even Dallas will eat him. Dallas will eat him up. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. He's third team this year. If he gets traded again, whoever gets him last isn't paying his salary. And for Erhoff, too. Erhoff's a good... How his stock has fallen, but uh, he's been doing okay with Chicago so far. He'll be, he'll be a good debt. It, it, 
bringing him in would be better than bringing in Runblad like last year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's a, a bonus for Chicago there. That team is just – they've just loaded up beautifully for this year, and they've just gone, yep, we're going for it, and we'll worry about the repercussions of everything else later. And you can't blame them for that. They're in the prime position to do it. Mm-hmm. that it for deadline? That'll do it. All right. Pittsburgh, yesterday, they really sucked against the Flames. Well, the results sucked. um, It wasn't a good game. I don't think it's, like, abominably bad like some said it was. I I think the problem with with losing that game against Calgary that had lost seven in a row and against Audio who hadn't won in forever, you know what I mean? Like, you look at all those things that stacked up for a team that Pittsburgh should have beaten, needed to beat to get them closer to the Rangers and the Islanders trying to get out of that that wildcard area. And, and I think it's the the cost of that that loss, I think, is, is more why people are disappointed more so than the, I didn't think – like, I, I, I got to watch all of the New Jersey game today and, until you and I decided to do this podcast because it was a blowout. And you'd hear um, – you know, talking like, oh, yeah, we were terrible yesterday, or if it wasn't there. They weren't actually that bad. I didn't think they were, they were that bad. They just got beat by, by a team. Yeah, they should have won, and that Correct. colors the perception uh, a lot on what should have happened. But um, the, the don't tell me about heart kind of, you know, those charts after the game that plots out the – um, nicely shows a visual of where all the shot attempts came from and where the goals come from. And, the, yeah. and and if that game played out again, what the percentages would be for each team to win. And it had Pittsburgh at a 70% chance of winning that game. So, I mean, how the results sucked, but how, how real poorly did they actually play? We'll have a look at Sam Bennett's first goal. I think he... he the puck was going wide and he just stuck his foot out and kicked it in like brilliantly done like a legit goal like I'm not saying it wasn't a goal but you get there and go that's some high quality skill play to be able to actually do that like the redirect for the third goal um, on Fleury was like well Fleury was never going to stop that Um, even the you just you watch it and you just go it happens. It's why you want the percentages to be in your favor more often. And for, for that to happen, you've just got to have more shots than your other team. So it doesn't work every time. We know this. But I'd prefer Pittsburgh to have lost the way they did than to have been absolutely dominated um, and have that sort of a process follow through to the next game. The, the game against um, the Devils, they won because the Devils didn't have Corey Schneider in net. That's pretty much, I think, the reality of that. Yeah, I think that's definitely what happened. Was it King Clade? Yeah, Keith King Clade. Like, you have a look at some of the, the goals that he gave up. It's like Schneider would never have given those up. It's just how it works. And and once Pittsburgh got a sniff after starting reasonably poorly, um, it was, you know, lights out. You could just tell that Murray was going to outplay King Clade and, and, and wasn't going to let in a soft one, and he, and he didn't. So... 6-1 win. Pittsburgh are, Pittsburgh are rolling in the right direction. There are flaws in their in their roster and there are flaws in, in what they do as a team. But 
after what you were talking about with Washington, there are flaws in what they do as well. So you just want to minimize those errors, maximize your strengths, um, and move forward from there. You need to be healthy, so they have to get Carl Hagelin back. Do we actually know anything about him? I think he took himself out, so good on him. Good. But um, they let him back in that game. Probably not good. And... Was that after the sandwich? At that blue line? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what the source of that was. Yeah. But, I mean, Pittsburgh's got a lot of depth at the moment. They brought up Tom Cicito to replace Hagelin. Yeah, that's some depth. Yeah. Hey, drew, drew a penalty. Got the first goal of the game off it. Yeah, I know. People were trying to give me a hard time on Twitter as though that was part of his master plan. What, him falling over and getting and almost getting clocked by Tutu? Yeah, like he planned to keep his gloves on. Basically what happened was he slipped and he was forced into a turtle position or else he would have got piss-pounded. Pretty much. He doesn't slip. Those gloves don't stay on. Give me a break. But I'll say this. End result, good. Intentional, I argue, absolutely. (laughs) So sometimes things happen that have a good result, uh, but the process wouldn't be what you call good. And what a couple of pointless players anyways. Where, Where do you feel this Pittsburgh team is at the moment moving forward? Uh, good. Uh, forward depth, good. I think the AHL guys are slowly improving, uh, starting to get that tangible offense. I think it's been obvious that this is a huge upgrade over where they've been the last few years, at least from driving play. Yep. But they were just anemic offensively. But now you have Brian Rust, who I think is the taller, faster Tyler Kennedy kind of player. Yep. Where... If you're looking for playmaking, you probably should look elsewhere. And there's really not too many shots he's willing to pass up. <laughs> he does say a lot, all like a good call. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he does drive play or at least help a little bit in that regard. He had three points tonight against the Devils. Scott Wilson's starting to look better. I think he has the most offensive pedigree out of out of the, the bunch. What's nice, what's nice about that, though, is that you saying that about the pedigree, with the with Hagler being out of the lineup, they threw him up there on the first line to have a crack with Sid. If he's going to have that pedigree and someone out of that collective bunch is, is, is going to finish Sid and, and Hornquist's good work at the moment, why not give it to the guy that has the most potential to do it? Yeah, and I wrote articles over the summer on the Penguins AHL guys, how many points per game they have in the AHL. Josh Weisbach had stats that showed what age they are in the AHL, how many points per game they need versus the probability of them being a a contributor at the NHL level. And I think Scott Wilson and Scott Wilson, Shuri and Rust were all the the three that looked like they could maybe get there. Oh, good. So, and that's, I have to admit, as the season's gone along, it's panning out that way, isn't it? When you look at what, what those three guys have done. It was very unfortunate what happened to Kevin Porter. You don't want to see somebody break their ankle like that and be out 12 weeks. Uh, yep, but... That said, I 
<laughs> but that said, <laughs> um, I think the on ice impact is minimal or doesn't exist. In fact, they're, they're, I don't think Tom Sestito will be in the lineup come potential playoff time. So whoever replaces Porter, they're going to be a better player. And but they'll I think, get Benito and Fur back before the playoffs, and, and that'll be where they'll fill those roster spots. How long both those players stay healthy for, Bennett. that's what they'll do. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Benino. No, Bennett and, and Fair. They'll get both of those guys back. Who comes out? Uh, well, this is this is the thing that you've got now. Because you, 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 you'll take Cicino out with Eric Fair. Then the question you're going to have then is you've got Sheary, Rust, and Wilson, and Bennett. Now, Bennett's in my lineup, and that's Bennett's in mine as well. I know some people don't agree with me on that. Bennett is in my lineup. I think Thomas Kuhnhackel goes. Ah, Cooney, that was the other one that I couldn't I couldn't remember. He'd be the one that would have to sit. Um, but yeah. That's provided those guys come back. So Pittsburgh get healthy. I, I, I like their chances against actually anyone in that Eastern Conference, mainly because Washington have got mental hang-ups that whilst you can't put any statistical number on it, still have to get around it. Um, I think it sucks that that's sort of been labelled on them, and if they listen to it too much, it, it could affect them. But I, I can't see any... Any of those other seven teams in that Atlantic division, I can't see Pittsburgh not winning four games out of seven against them. No, they're, in a, good, they're in a good, okay spot. And I think that it's it goes to show that you don't need world beaters in their bottom six, but you just can't have the anchors that used to be there. And they don't anymore. And it really helps out. Like, say Sid and Gino go cold, which, by the way, they're not right now. They're absolutely on fire. Chris Letang also on fire. Patrick Hornquist on fire. So you got the guys that you want to see getting results, getting results. But even if they weren't, these guys still, they're not just living in their own end every single shift like that, like it used to be. Yeah, I think that's the important thing for me, is you're not asking the top players of the team when they're cold to to carry all of the load. The puck's at least down the other end of the ice. And I think it's it's important to know that, that um, Ian Cole has looked better since he's come back into the lineup, since he got forced back in due to injury. Um, Derek Pouliot has looked, uh, for me, I think Derek Pouliot looked great, not just good. I think he's looked great uh, in the role that he's been given. Um, it would have been very ballsy of Mike Sullivan to play Pouliot and Schultz together tonight, um, but putting Schultz in instead of Puglia, uh frustrates me a little bit just because it seems like if anyone's getting jilted at the, in this at this club, it's 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 Pouliot every time, and I, I don't think that's a, a good way to handle a, a promising young uh, asset, but uh, Schultz looked capable and competent and didn't look terrible in his own end, so it'll be interesting to see how many more games he gets down the stretch and, and, and how he goes against better teams when it comes to uh, pressure in the defensive zone. I don't like Pouliot coming out of the lineup at all, to be honest. I did a little yeah. write-up on him today. Looked at his with or without use. Um, every teammate that's played with him is worse without him this year so far. 
I looked at his ability to generate offense. Chris Letang, five five on five points per sixty this year, one point two five, and we both agree he's been like ridiculous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Derek Pouliot, one point two two. Now, mind you, much smaller sample, but I mean, he can only play in the amount of time they've given him. True. But could you have could you have honestly seen them playing Pouliot and Schultz? I couldn't. I, I couldn't see them. I can't do see it. them I wanted... doing it, but I just do it. Whatever. Shelter the, the, it. It's it's funny the numbers that you've given us just there in that example. It's like so why not trust Pouliot to be the the lead in that pairing because that's obviously the way they look at it. They wanted someone there that's safe and secure. And Ian Cole this year has been far from any of those things. To, to be reliable there for, for Schultz to try and get his feet wet. It's like, I, I would do exactly what you said. Play the two play the two offensively gifted defensemen, shelter their minutes, give them offensive zone starts. Um, if they get stuck in their own zone, use it as a teaching moment. Um, That's the thing and, with and, Pouliot, though. He, he's getting 50% zone starts, which is right in the dead center, and his quality of teammates actually lowest on the team. So he's not even being sheltered. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's bizarre to me, that decision with, with Pouliot. You and I have been clamoring for him all year. He comes up, does what's been asked of him, and then he... Oh, then don't he get me still... wrong. Isolated mistakes that stick out, but we've said... Of course they will. You, 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 you live with that. You, he does more yeah. good than bad. So you're going to yeah. get those, like... Moments that they're so visceral and like, what the hell is he doing? But then he goes and he just makes those under the radar tape to tape breakout passes that get the forward speed through the neutral zone that don't look like much. Hey, but those don't that? stick in the memory as well as the the gaff. And you see that with Schultz as well. You can see that he makes the smart play in the back end to try and have the forwards exit with speed. And he's this is his first game. Really good slap pass to Rust for the tip as well. He uh, jumped up on the rush really well to get a good a good shot off too. So well, I, I can see why. Him. Correct. You can see why he would be frustrating to Edmonton Oilers fans because you look at the good things he can do, and he barely got challenged in the defensive zone in this game. So you don't get a chance to see what his failings are. And, and how to try and help him improve. But Pittsburgh don't have a big enough window to just throw him out there in situations to see him screw up. I mean, I stand by the fact that I don't think the Penguins have missed the playoffs, but you can't use these next 17 games as like a test run for him and have him cost you a game in the third period when he misses a coverage that he should have because you need to see him in particular game situations. So it it's an interesting decision to bring him on. You need to know enough about him to know what you're going to use him for when you call him in when there are injuries in the playoffs. And that's that's where they're at. Still hasn't really been a reason why Pouliot was out. They didn't give no, one. They, they just did. said no further information at this time. They just took him out because they wanted to play Schultz. It's as simple as that. It should have been Pouliot and Schultz playing together, not, not Schultz and, and Cole, but... You know, the young guy always gets crucified. The young guys, unless they're a superstar, the young guy is always the one that comes out. Doesn't but, matter what team it is. You know, Schultz, third round pick. I don't think we mentioned the cost to acquire. 
No, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Like like you said, they've got control. They can qualify him. Um, if he blows their socks off, admittedly, that'll be at what? Three mil or is it 3.9 mil? So that's not a cheap qualifying offer for a guy that's potentially a number well, six. You can qualify, but that doesn't mean that's the contract. Oh, okay then. So I, I could see a team-friendly deal happening. He'd be crazy not to. He would be crazy not to. The, the, if there's an environment that he would do well in, it would be a more mature version of the Edmonton Oilers' skill. And in reality, that's what Pittsburgh is. They're clearly heading in this direction. Latang, Daly, Pouliot, Schultz, all cut from the same mold. Mata, also a good puck mover, but I don't think he skates quite like... Like the other guys. No, no but, he does not. But still puck moving. It just does it differently. He moves the puck differently. And Dumoulin, I, I'm sorry not to mention him. He's been really great. Yeah. I mean, Paul Martin's a puck-moving defenseman. He just doesn't do it with his feet. His breakout passes get the puck moving the other direction so quickly. Not everyone's blessed with Latang's physical assets, so you've got to do it differently. Amada does it just like same with Dumoulin, actually. Dumoulin and Amada are very similar in regards to you can consider them good puck movers, but they don't do it with their skates. They they just make sure they hit their passes on the money. Dumoulin's okay. Amada looks considerably injured. Amada looks injured. You've said that though. Mm hmm. That skating strider of his has changed. So it'll be interesting to hear what happens at the end of the year. Particularly with him being in Finland's squad for the World Cup as well. Yeah, that's not until September, though. Right? September? Yeah, but if Pittsburgh finished playing in, like, the end of June... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll believe that one when I see it. Yeah, correct. That's exactly right. Um, you know, what What else is there to say on, like, Malkin and Crosby and Latang that, you know, really hasn't been said already? Not much. It's just that Juno needs to not give up so many penalties. That's the only complaint that I have. Yeah, that's never going to change. No, but it's, it's terrible. Like, you look at the some of the penalties that he gives away and you just go, oh, come on. <laughs> like, you need him to stay aggressive because it's how he gets the puck back. I understand that. But there are some there that you just wonder if you could get him to stop doing them. That's all. Yeah. It's just... Well, I guess um, we haven't mentioned Kessel. Not invited to Team USA yet. Um. But yeah, I, I would be surprised sure. if he doesn't. I, it's, it's one of those things with Kessel. He's he's so he's so enigmatic uh, as a hockey player. You see some of the stuff he does, and you wonder why he can't do it every single shift. And he's got that, you know. His, I suppose his, his stick's like, a detriment. I think. So how do I think how do you go about getting him to change it? Well, he's not going to. I'm usually not one to tell my high school players, what kind of sticks to use, what flex, all that. Like, that's your personal choice. But you watch Kessel and some of the things that don't go right for him, handling sharp passes that come his way and, and stuff like that, 
And I can't help but think it's because the stick's a freaking rubber band. All right, so at what point when you're the general manager and you're the coach and him not being able to do these things is going to cost you your job, do you sit there and say, you're our asset, you need to look at getting a different stick? I don't know how often that conversation's had in the NHL, to be honest with you. That's my point. Like, you get there now and the margins are so small for getting things right and wrong that Kessel not being able to handle the puck because he's, he sticks a, a rubber band is like, why do you not get him to get a stiffer stick, particularly when it comes to trying to shoot one time? He can, obviously cannot shoot one-timers with that stick, right? He just can't do it. Not so really. why not change? So why not change his stick on the power play when he's going to have to just shoot one timers? I don't, I don't get why you can't have different tools for, for different conditions. Some players do. So they need to have a. I suppose this is the difference between a guy like Sid, who has the impression that he's always trying to improve his game, no matter what it is, right? Trying to find some sort sort of edge, and then you get a guy like Kessel, who is ultra talented but he's very happy in the little bubble that he's created for himself in regards to, I'm good at these things and I don't really want to improve at anything else. Now, whether or not that's true, that's a perception of what both players are. And it's like, you know, Sid famously went out there after being terrible in the face-off dot and became one of the best in the league. Is this something that Kessel can get there and go, right, I'm not great at this. I need to, to improve this skill so that I can be better for my team. And does he have that inning to even bother wanting to do that all right let's hypothetically say he's got 75 flex which i don't know for sure but his stick is as whippy as i've ever seen one why not bump up let's let's try 85 for a little bit here let's let's see if i the the puck's not bouncing off me as as frequent as it has because you watch that scott wilson goal tonight sid whips it over and he he one times it on his forehand now, mm-hmm. he's, he's a lefty on the left side, so it's across the body one-timer. And he puts it right in. You see Kessel, the puck, those ones haven't been working for him a lot this year. Right? And that's that, that's what I mean. It's like, it's not that the, the hand-eye coordination of, of, of Kessel is not good enough to complete that play. Is it is it the is it the stick? Like, what what is it the curve? Is it the flex? What is it that's not going right there for Kessel to improve that? And has it been brought up? If it has, is Kessel just reluctant to, to make any changes because he likes to stay in his little comfort bubble with, the, with his stick? And, oh, and I can appreciate that. And, look, I'm happy with the way Kessel's pr- producing. He's going to give me what I need out of the, the role that he's, he's been given. But there's certainly no doubt that he's missed chances to – perform to the level of expectation that I have to admit at the very start of the year I had really high hopes that he would clock up a lot of counting numbers um, and it's like he's just missed some of them because of what you said about his stick it's like rubber he can't handle the puck because the the stick won't allow him to and maybe I'm overanalyzing that but I used I used to use a, a hundred and I'm on an 85 right now that I got given to me, and it's, you know, even that's a, a little bit more whippy than I want it to be. So I can see how if you go even lower, it would be like, geez. Just, yeah, it just seems it seems weird to me. The 
Penguins organization really dragged their feet in regards to improving Marc-Andre Fleury technically, and it probably cost them a cup. It's one of those things where they should be on to this sort of stuff. It's the it's those sorts of coaching moments that I think coaches should get involved in in regards to trying to find an edge. If a player, if a player is consistently losing an edge, they need to look at what they're doing with their skates. I don't see how it's any different with their stick. So there you go. My two cents. <laughs> All right. Anything else Pittsburgh-related? We got, uh, I think, eight more divisional games in a row here. So this is the season. They get through this pretty okay. They're in the playoffs. If they go 50-50, they make the playoffs. If they go... What did you say? Eight games. If they if they go six and six and two through this, they could get second in the in the division. Mm, maybe. I mean, I still think the Rangers will probably. But if they go if they go six and eight, the chance is still there. If they go fifty fifty, then they're literally just going to play for that. So here's their the gauntlet: Islanders, Columbus, Rangers, Islanders, Carolina, Philly, Washington, New Jersey. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> going, to, like, going to be some happier, angry fans, both. Who knows? Yeah. And that, look, uh, if you're Pittsburgh, you, you're so fortunate that you're going through this run of the schedule now and not at the start of the year when they will play like they were. Because they'd have lost themselves out of the playoffs because all of those games were against the division. Like, they were lucky they were losing against everyone else earlier in the year. So... Having this loaded up for them is, is. Yeah. There'll be no shortage of topics for me to write about, hopefully. <laughs> but at least the destiny's in their own hands. I mean, if Pittsburgh lose, you know, lose more than half of these games through this stretch, they don't deserve to make the playoffs in reality, and they, they will probably fall out. So if they stay 50 50, at least they're going to, in theory, beat the teams below them and, and lose to the teams above them, that they can at least stay in that wildcard spot. Mario looks good though. Six quality starts of his six game career, so he's he's doing quite well. Before today's game, where he only gave up one goal, he's sitting at nine forty four even save percentage, so doing exactly what the Penguins need him to do to give Flurry some rest and not have a drop off in quality. No, it's good. It's good to see. Well, I think that'll do. Yeah, that'll do us for today. That was good. Please don't forget about what Cam talked about at the beginning of the podcast, uh, the, the Patreon stuff that we have up there. You can look through, see what tiers give you what. And, um, you know, any little bit helps. We, of course, do not have to, but it's, it's very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Cameron Walsh. I'm Cameron Walsh.